This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the church boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Hi guys, it's me, Chris Field. I'm here today to talk to you about faith and Christianity. So, uh, you're such a jerk. It's me, Chris. So, just before we hit the record button, right, and we hit the button to start the music, Billy, I tell... I say, okay, Billy, I got something to do for the open here, so just go along with it. And what does he do? He just ruins it. So here's what we would have done. Hey, hey, Billy, why are you wearing that Carly Carly Fiorina mask today? That's <laughs> weird. Here, let me. I'm gonna put on my Donald Trump mask. Okay, just a second here. Let me get this on. Okay, here we go. Um, I certainly would not vote for that face. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's beautiful. She's lovely. She's beautiful. She's great. She's very talented. She's exceptional. She's, she's stupendous. A, she's stupendous. I think that Carly is fantastic, and um, and I, I think she I think she would make a great Secretary of the Treasury. Uh, I'm certainly looking to hold, having her on my uh, on my uh, on my staff here. Uh, 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 so. But of course, I was just joking around, and and I think she's lovely. I think she has a beautiful face. I think she's a beautiful woman. So, did you enjoy the I, debate? You know, <laughs> I'm gonna be fully honest. Okay, you we didn't watch. Go to bed now in my house <laughs> at like nine thirty. We're upstairs, so, so we lame. watched half of it, and we had to stop. And we're actually saving it. It's like a reality show. We're saving the other half. I mean, I've read all about it, obviously, but <laughs> right. we're saving it right. to enjoy this weekend. Um, my wife's comments. She could have had her own reality show. Her comments were so amazing. I couldn't even share half of them because they were so awful. <laughs> Tell me, um, Casey, and she you can say things. You can hear, okay? As no, long as it's not going to take her off. Awful. But. They're they're so off. One thing she said but was we can, so true. I can go but back. So I can go back and bleep them if you want. But if you're not if you're not comfortable okay. sharing them All because right. she would not be comfortable with you sharing them, then don't share them. But I know there were a couple. One of that them you, I'm not going to share. There were a couple that you so shared bad. with me. There were a couple She's you not shared a fan with of Ted me. Bruce at all. <laughs> there were a couple you shared with me that made me laugh. Wait, <laughs> just right out loud. It was fantastic. I, you would have loved to be there. Oh. And the funny part about what I love about my wife is she's never trying to be funny, but she can be really funny. <laughs> and so she's just sitting there muttering these things. And she's like, she really does not like, and I will say, maybe bleep out the person I said she doesn't like. Just, just a second. I'm going to get a pen here. <laughs> so, okay. All right. So she's watching and she's like, and and actually, you can believe the person out, but everyone should, will probably know who it is when I describe it. She is so disgusted with the way that one person kept addressing the camera, oh. and felt that it was so inauthentic and obnoxious. And yeah, you know, she's one of those people that like she's not a political person, so the perception. And I guess like she's kind of the person that that political people don't like because right. it's like, oh, that person seems really nice, or oh. I like that cardigan that Donald Trump is wearing, or you know, whatever. So, cardigan? Like, <laughs> Where did you come? I, love, I like that. That's a lovely cardigan that Donald um, Trump is wearing. So you know, 
anyway, but but so she really was not a fan of the, and I actually wasn't either. I thought it was very in it, and I'm not saying it's in inauthentic per se. It feels that way to me though. It's yeah, like, look, we don't need you to look at the camera. Just get your stuff done. Say what you want to say. Right. And can we all talk about the fact that I didn't realize Huckabee was on the stage <laughs> after they introduced him for about an hour into the debate? You know. Okay, so everybody knows, everybody, and you didn't say this, I'm saying this, everybody knows you're talking about Ted Cruz, my, you know, yes, <laughs> my guy, Ted Cruz. And, you know, I, I heard some comments, or we were doing the live chat thing, which you refused to be a part of, which was fine because it was actually That's better. absolutely correct. It was better without I'm you. on a social media hiatus. That's America. right. <laughs> giving, <laughs> Billy Hallowell, giving America a break. Uh, <laughs> just a second, write that down. I think we have a show title, Giving America uh, America. It's my MSNBC show. <laughs> Giving America a break. That means So if you go out of social media, it means it's like being on MSNBC where nobody's going to hear what you think. <laughs> I am actually officially on MSNBC <laughs> because I'm, I have no platform. Um, so, okay, so, you know, Ted Cruz. But I read some comments in the um, in the live blog chat thing we were doing during the debate. And again, it's just a few people. Who knows if they may have been the only people in the world who thought it, but they 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 thought it was cool that he looked right at the camera and addressed the American people. They were you know, clearly drinking. Right. But as someone day. like, and I understood that point and I understood what he's trying to do, but as someone who likes, who watches people's mannerisms as they give speeches, you're watching that show and you go like, there's a crowd of 500 people in that room. Why isn't he addressing the, the people who are in the room? So it seems, real. it just seems weird. Yeah. And it didn't sound real. Not that it's not. It because of that, it felt like a package. And I have to say, the person who was able to pull it off the best, and what I loved, if and I'm not endorsing here um, sure. for anybody who's listening. Right. I am merely saying that I thought Carly Fiorina, and again, I don't know. I actually don't know a lot about Carly Fiorina. What I do know is that she was able to. Yep address the audience and the issues without yeah. i mean she would talk about donald trump like he wasn't even there but yeah. it didn't feel weird right and and uh, on the cruise thing and, and i think glenn has mentioned this before and i totally totally agree cruise is he has so trained himself throughout his life not to be a politician but to perform to perform well to speak well to not have errors when he speaks and and so when he speaks to america and, and the world watches him People kind of it comes off the sake fake simply because he has just perfected how it is he wants to speak. He's not reading anything. He's not he's not disingenuous. He's just he has really worked at being the speaker he is. But part of part of that I feel, and I get that argument, but I feel right. like part of that whole package should be your tone and understanding that your tone. Now, like you said, yeah. some people like it. I think that if you have a number of people, even if you had 30%, and I have no numbers, so I, maybe I'm wrong and maybe my wife is wrong. If you have 30% of the people watching something feeling like, eh, this feels a little inauthentic, you definitely yeah. would want to probably fix that tone. Right, and, and I'm sure that his people are talking to him about it. I, but, I mean, it's it's so ingrained. And, again, I'm, I'm assuming he did it because, he, well, his father trained him to speak and to speak well and was always on his case. I know that. We've heard that before. But he was also, man, he's a trained lawyer. So if you're if you're him... That's how you want to present to the Supreme Court. That's a good which, point. Which he has. I mean, that's I present to the Supreme Court. I want to speak like Ted Cruz. I want to be on my game. I don't want to have a word out of place. I want to direct it directly at the people I want it directed at. I don't care what the audience thinks. I care about the person I'm speaking to. You know, and you that's, make a good point. And that's what Ted Cruz is doing. Whether or not that comes across as inauthentic on air is is another 
is another discussion for him and his handlers to have. But I think that that's, I think that's the reason behind it, whether or not it's a good reason or not. I think it's, that's what it is. But did you have any other thoughts of this debate? Did you enjoy it? I mean, I find it, it's like watching The Apprentice. I love every minute and every second of all of it. And I think, look, everybody's so upset and blah, blah, blah about how Donald Trump is ruining the world. Look, who cares? Donald Trump's going to be not going to be the candidate. It doesn't matter. He's not going to be the president. But what he is doing right now is drawing an awful lot of attention to issues. Look, he yeah. might be a clown in some people's eyes. He might be stupid in some people's eyes. I don't think he's a stupid man. No. Um, but what he's doing is making more people pay attention to this than probably ever have before, which yeah. in the end is probably not a bad thing. I, I do think that with this debate, he has peaked. I, I don't think he I don't think he did well in this debate personally. No. But that, you know, no, I mean, how look at some point it wears off. It's going to wear off. I actually really find Ben Carson fascinating because he's like, you know what? I landed up here and I'm going to go with it. And he is not a stupid man. He's a brilliant man. Right. And I think people are intrigued by the notion of somebody who is like, you know what? I don't have the answers. I don't even know a lot of the a lot of the subject matter. Right. But I'm going to find people who do. Yeah. And I'm going to I'm going to stand for this position and wanting this position when maybe I'm not the most qualified on, on paper. I don't know. Right. I just, I think he's interesting. I think that's interesting about him. I, and as, as annoyed or frustrated as you or your wife get with, you know, Cruz's presentation, Ben Carson grates on me when he speaks. I, I can't take Is it because I, he I sounds enjoyed, like he's in the middle of a nap? Yeah. Or like he doesn't really, he's just kind of like his processor's a little slow when it's getting to his mouth. And I don't think he has a slow mind at all. I mean, absolutely not. But I don't really enjoy listening to him. Well, certainly I, not I do think slower than yours. Oh, certainly not. But I do think he's genuinely a good guy, and I and you know I appreciate a lot of the things he has to say. But um, in in the same way that I think that Cruz's presentation can hurt him, I think that Ben Carson's can really hurt him as well. You know, Rubio. No, that's a good. I'm surprised somebody hasn't addressed. Because look, at the end of the day, when it comes down to two candidates, if it's Hillary versus a Ben Carson with the current tone, right. Hillary blows it out of the water. She yeah. knows how to be a politician. Right. And you know, and if, if you put Hillary against, uh, I was talking to a friend last night. If you put Hillary against uh, Donald Trump, she'll she'll win on politics purely, but also. Donald Trump likes to just start swinging at people and taking sucker punches. You can't punch a girl, right? And you can't give a girl a sucker punch. If she wants to get in the ring and have a, a real political fight, that's fine and debate things and, you know, take jabs at each other. But you can't do sucker punches like it because he'll, Trump, as smart as he actually is, also has um, allowed himself to be trained to make comments about people's looks and their appear about their appearances and, and, you know, personal jabs, you know, some of the things he did to Rand Paul during the debate. And, you know, he's going to, of, of all the, of all what, 15, 16 Republicans who are seeking the nomination, all of them, there's only one who will bring up cankles in a, who would bring up cankles in a debate with, with you're, Hillary wait, Clinton. you're running, <laughs> no, but, but you know, I mean, I, I I fear a whole lot of things if he's the nominee. And, oh, one, no, and, one, of, and one of them is that in the debate, sometime he would refer to Kangles. And that's just what he would do because he I has mean, so allowed himself to be trained to say things like that. Does that mean he believes? I don't know. But he allows himself to say those kinds of things. Good point. Fair. I think, I think that Donald Trump as president would be intriguing. <laughs> Did you get... <laughs> so you have you have saved the... 
you know, the, the, the debate thing, I was, I was really curious to hear your thoughts on the stuff that they talked about marijuana legalization. Did you listen to any of that? I did not yet. Oh. And I planned to, that was, I actually stopped right. I think right before that I read a little bit. It was um, an annoying question. I mean, they spent a bunch of time on it. It was really, really annoying. It's um, an annoying subject, as we know. And I think, you know, um, I'm going to be nice, so I'm just going to stop there. It's, it's, a, it's a subject that I don't love. So uh, uh, also in that debate, they, and I want to get into Planned Parenthood stuff and, and trying to not make this an awkward transition. So I'm, that was just a just-in-case just, just awkward transition Caitlin music. Oh, boy. During the debate, they brought up the Planned Parenthood thing. And Carly Fiorina challenged the White House and Hillary to watch the video. What is mm-hmm. the latest on that? I know that the White House said, we're not watching the video, or, or, and Hillary has refused to say whether or not she's watched the video. And now there's been some controversy about like what she said she saw on the videos. Yeah, so... so what is... I, I have not fully understood the It's very complicated. It, it ate up... Three to four hours of my life yesterday. Oh, and and so the, worst. the bottom line is this. Let me summarize it. What Carly Fiorina said is partially true, partially not true. And now and not, some and not people like will, false, not like false lying true, but no. like a mist, a mist, an error. She wasn't lying. And I don't, it really I don't think was her fault, because let me explain. Video seven in the series where we're at 10 Planned Parenthood videos now. I think the American right. public is tired of it, to be honest. They're not videos that people want to watch anymore but there there are 12 of them so i'm assuming we're going to have two more now if this organization was smart they saved one of their best ones for last probably but we'll see um and i say that morbidly i I mean best most eye-catching to get the most attention to their cause now in video seven there is a discussion with this woman holly o'donnell she's the she was a former technician with stem express um which was the company that contracted with planned parenthood now she describes in that video this horrific, and we talked about it on the show, but this horrific incident in which she allegedly uh, took brain tissue from a baby, and she says she saw the heartbeat on that baby after the abortion before they procured the brain tissue. Right. Now, that's the situation that Carly was talking about. That is the scenario. It is part of the video. It's not visually shown. That's right. the problem. So what is visually shown, though, in her in Carly Fiorina's defense is a video of a baby and it's it's not stock footage because some people some people on the left were calling it that it, it right. appears to be a real life video it's not the baby though that the technician is talking about it was just interspersed in this documentary um which is what they were calling video seven to illustrate the point she's talking about this hor- horrific incident with the brain and this baby there's an there's video of it kicking its leg that was what mm. carly fiorina was discussing so is right. she lying no there was an incident in which a woman said right but there is not visual proof of that. Um, right. And so I don't At least know not, that she There's not visual that. proof of that in that video. In that video. Right. right. There's not visual proof of that specific example of Holly O'Donnell saying that she took brain tissue from a baby that was alive. So I think what happened, and, and look, this is not the first controversy. The Center for Medical Progress was under fire last month because some critics were saying another picture in that same video not the footage that Carly's talking about, but another picture in that same video came from a stillborn baby. And that picture was allegedly taken without permission of the mother who had that baby. And she spoke out and said, 
I am upset that they used that picture. It's illegal. They shouldn't have. I'm not going to do anything about it. Right. So there were issues already with the way the video was put together. They've come out and clarified we only use the, the image in the video to help illustrate. That was the word they used in, in a statement that they sent me yesterday, the story, to help illustrate it. Hmm, interesting. Anyway, that's a long explanation. All there right. you go. All right. Well, see, there's been some fallout from that. But the cool thing is that someone and, and the media refuses to focus on the Planned Parenthood thing. But I mean, even Wolf Blitzer had the, the, the guts to ask Hillary, have you watched the video yet? And she won't say yes or no. Because right. she hasn't. Right. These people don't want to watch it because it, no. don't even get me started. And this is worse than marijuana. Don't they do not want to watch it because it forces them. And this is what I think is so cowardly. Not yeah. and, and this is anybody who won't watch it but supports abortion so freely. Yeah. It's cowardly to then say, oh, well, I didn't watch or, or not even to watch it because you don't want to see. You don't want to be confronted with the reality of what you've right. supported. And I think that's wrong. Right. All right. So. On Planned Parenthood, we put up a we put up a piece this week on the Blaze. <clears throat> the top twenty five recipients of Planned Parenthood campaigns. No, not we. Camp, you, Chris Gill, did this piece. Well, I did do this piece, yes, um, and we actually put it in the magazine as well. But um, so I did this this piece, and it, it actually took quite a while because there was a lot of math, and I'm not good at math, and which meant I had to get out, you know, Bob Shell. <laughs> <laughs> I had to pay someone else to to add it all up. But I, I, what I went through and found was, since 1990, who, who, what politicians have received the most money from Planned Parenthood? And now it's not from Planned Parenthood, the nonprofit. It's from their PAC. It's from their employees and families of their employees who identify Planned Parenthood as their employer. So that's how this all works. And it comes from OpenSecrets.org. What's um, what's the name? Of the, it's the website is OpenSecrets.org. It's uh, Center for Responsive Politics. So I went through. It's the and, Ashley Madison of donations. <laughs> and it's actually a great website. Yeah, I mean, no, it's, it is. It's fantastic. I've used it before for a lot of other projects, but we put this one up, and it's it's really interesting. And according to this uh, Center for American Project, Center for Responsive Politics, during the 2014 election, Planned Parenthood gave $892,000 to Democrats and $3,100 to Republicans. And in 2012... Democrats got $1.2 million and Republicans got $26,000. And it's just kind of, it's like, whoa, there's a huge, and it doesn't surprise anybody what the discrepancy is. Who but were the Republicans who so, got money? Uh, I, I think that Susan Collins got some money over the, over the years, but you know, there, there are a few, there was, um, is it Kirk? Mark Kirk maybe got some, I can't remember. I don't want to, I shouldn't put out the names if I don't know for certain. And I would have to go back. <laughs> Here you are accusing all these people. No, but, but I remember those six, names. Louise but... Slaughter is my old congresswoman where I used where I grew up, and just... I was in I was once in a production with Louise Slaughter when it's I was a teenager. Fitting, a fitting name, don't you think? <laughs> uh, so it was, and several people have actually pointed that out uh, in the comment section. But so there, I, I so I went there and then I pulled the top twenty five, right? And what's interesting to me is uh, well, there's a whole lot of things that are interesting. One of the things that we're always hearing from the pro-abortion, pro-choice side is that men shouldn't be speaking about abortion because it's about women's bodies, right? That's what we're frequently told. You don't have any room to speak. You're a man, you know? You're not the one who has to stick a, you know, a, a hanger up or vajayjay if, you know, abortion becomes illegal. And, and it's like, well, that's not what we're arguing right now. What we're arguing about Planned Parenthood is should they be receiving government funds? Should they be receiving taxpayer dollars 
Should the government be going into my paycheck, pulling out dollars, and then giving it over to Planned Parenthood? That's what literally this debate is about, okay? But in the overall abortion picture, they're frequently saying men shouldn't have any role. We shouldn't. We just shut up and allow abortion to happen because for whatever is it totally illogical. But that's what they say. This list of yeah, 20... it's not your body. It's not, you know, not <laughs> right. your body. You it's have no your say, body, which right? I think, you know, it's interesting because, uh, you know, a woman can't create a baby on her own. Right. I mean, it's like, anyway, so it doesn't, but it's, it's a totally illogical argument. However, okay, so let's say, let's take them at their, let's, let's go with their theory. Men shouldn't have any say in it. This top 25 list, 11 of the top 25 recipients of Planned Parenthood money 11 of them are men. 11. Of the top, let's see, of the top five, three of them are men. Three of the top five are men. But yet they'll say men shouldn't have anything, they shouldn't be arguing about abortion. They shouldn't be discussing. You should just shut up and listen to women, right? So let's take a look at the top 25. And, you know, it's number 25, Amy Klobacher. She's from Minnesota, Senator from Minnesota. She received 24,450. Now I'm going to go through the whole list, but that's number 25. Number 25 was it 20 as it was it almost $25,000 from Planned Parenthood, okay? So let's let's just look at the top 10. Number 10, uh Stephanie Herseth Sandlin, and she's a rep- representative from from South Dakota. She was she's she's out now. Uh number 9, Christine Gillibrand, senator from New York. Number eight, this is no surprise. I'm actually surprised, was surprised she wasn't higher. Number eight was Barbara Boxer from California. I mean, she's the one that was up against Carly Fiorina in California. Carly Fiorina lost her by a few points in California uh, in the Senate race. Jean Shaheen from New Hampshire is number seven. Number six, as Billy mentioned earlier, was Louise Slaughter, representative from New York. Number five, Diana DeJet, uh, congresswoman from Colorado. Number four, John Kerry at $45,856. John Kerry, big surprise there. Hillary Clinton, number three at $46,282. Number two, Timothy Bishop, a former rep from New York. He's $67,000. And number one, in a landslide, twice the money is number two. All right, twice the, about twice the money of Timothy Bishop. Number one is President Barack Obama at $133,763 from Planned Parenthood. Now, this is an organization, right? This is an organization that receives from the taxpayers $500 million a year. And then they turn around and give money to people who will vote to then give them more money. That's what's happening, right? That's why campaign... Campaign finance law doesn't need to be caps on what people spend, but it needs to be full disclosure. And that's why this disclosure is important for people to understand is all 25 people on this list are ardent supporters of Planned Parenthood. And vote, you do you and believe vote there should for, be any caps? And, and vote for giving, just to say, they, they've, these people are ardent supporters of Planned Parenthood and then vote to give hundreds of millions of dollars a year to Planned Parenthood. Do I believe there should be any caps, donation caps? No, absolutely not. Hmm. I'm a, I'm a very, very, I'm very pro, uh, paying for campaigns with donations. And I think that there should be no caps. I think there should just be all in a 100% reporting. That's all I, that's what I believe in. Just let me, let me know where the money comes from. And my, and my, and my reason for that is, is multifold. One, I, 
the court has said, and I agree, money is speech. And so the Washington Post can spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars supporting just one candidate on their editorial page and their news pages. But let's just talk about their editorial page because they'll claim no bias on the news pages. We know they're, they're we know that they're, you know, it's, that's bunk, but look at their editorial page. They can spend million, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars a year advocating for particular politicians in their editorial page. The same with the New York Times. So the company that owns the New York Times, the New York Times company, the company that owns the Washington Post, the Washington Post company can spend all that money, but it doesn't count as donations. So apparently if you own a publication, hey, listen, you can give as much as, as much as you want. All the free advertising you want, you can give as much as you want by just promoting that person within those pages. That's millions of dollars worth of stuff. But if I, an individual, want to give that much money to somebody, I can't. Or if I own a business and I want my business to support somebody that way, I can't. That's just, but the other thing is, if I think, now this is a stretch, if I think that you, Billy Hallowell, and this is this was uh, Texas Senator Phil Graham's thing, and, I, and I, I'm stealing it from him. I, I think you, Billy Hallowell, are the next Thomas Jefferson. Why shouldn't I be able to sell everything I own? My car, my house, my kids, well, at least my house and my car, and give all of that money to your campaign. If I think that you are the next the next best thing, if I think you are the only way to save America, why shouldn't I be able to give everything I have to make that happen, right? So, um, interesting. I know you're a commie and you want only public financing for campaigns, which is a horrible liberal thing for you to say. Um, I don't really, I actually don't think it's, <laughs> it should be this liberal conservative because I know a lot of people on both sides of the issue. I, you know, I, I definitely think it's a nice idea, but I think you can run into a lot of problems when a certain number of people have a lot of wealth that they're filtering into something. And, you know, I, I don't know if there were to be a public system where each candidate were, were given a certain amount of money and that was it. Um, I'd be interested to see what that was like. I don't know. I mean, look, the, the, it the, would the, definitely taxes, cut. Taxes should not pay for campaigns. Well, tax, I mean, look, look, taxes do pay for campaigns because half of what presidents do when they're in office is campaign. So I, I, I mean, understand. They I don't like that. I don't it. like that either. So I'd say stop. Right, but stop both I, things. You know, I think I'd be willing as as I would be willing to allow taxes to pay for a campaign for president, not anything else for president. If I knew that influence would be tapered off because of it, and I think it would possibly cut out a layer of influence. I don't have strong views on this, but I'm giving you the devil's advocate of it because I do. I think conservatives sort of freak out over over that. Well, you know, pu public funding. But yeah, I mean, look what, what goes on, though. Candidates are bought and they're purchased. And the reason that Obama, I think your list perfectly illustrates that, was given all of the money that he was by Planned Parenthood that year was because he was running for reelection in 2012 and they wanted to yep. control and have power over him. Right. And so it sort of illustrates that that but point. That's, to but, that's why I, that's, but that's why I want the public... The, the all of the reporting 100% reporting all of it right, every so time we know you get that, report all of it so that we know and we can say this is who's funding this and this is why we can we can make connections right but, but at the same time i also say listen of the money that planned parenthood people gave to these folks they were supporting them because these people are like minded so it's not simply planned parenthood gives barack obama $133,763 and then expects him to do that do to support them they also know that he already supports them right so there's it's twofold it's not simply quid pro quo it's also 
I you and I agree on these same things, so I'm giving you money because you and I agree on the same things. Now, I'm also going to maybe experience a financial benefit from it, right? There's there's two there's two sides, yeah, I mean, there's two parts to but, it. But yeah, but that is simplifying because you get into legislation, you get into so many other things, and they may share they may share an ideology, but when you're giving them money, there's an expectation that something firm will be given back, no, not no, no, not just always share that's, but a that's viewpoint. Not always, but that's not always the case. I don't think that's always the case oh, with Planned Parenthood. No, I don't think. Excuse me. I think that that's part of it. I think that there's. That's two, a, I think but there's, that's the most important part. I think there's two parts. I think there's a there's an appearance of corruption that doesn't mean corruption, right? I do think. Listen, if I give and listen, I don't donate to campaigns just because I think it's a waste. I'd rather give. I'd if I can if I have to choose between giving a thousand dollars of my money to a, a politician or to my church, I'll give to my church every time, right? But if I give a thousand dollars to you know Donald Trump, because I'm obviously not supporting him. If I give a hundred, I, I, I'm not expecting anything. I'm giving him the money because I believe in what he's doing, right? Yeah. But or Carly Fiorina, or Ben Carson, or Lindsey Graham, or you know Hillary Clinton. We give the money because we believe in those things. Understand, a lot of this money here isn't simply from the, the organization's pack. It's from people who work for the organization. So you can look at the list and say, you know, you know, uh, uh, Jane Smith gave, you know, uh, $500 to Timothy Bishop. Well, Jane Smith identifies Planned Parenthood as her employer, so it counts as Planned Parenthood money. But when Jane but Smith we didn't, also know do, that... didn't give it as an expectation. But... We also know Cecile Richards took time off to work for the Obama campaign. I mean, look, it, it, this is on both. It's a sure, problem on both sides. There are some connections, sides. but understand it, the donations happen because the person happens to agree with the same thing you agree with. No, no, I get that. Obviously, why else would you donate? But they really, the reason they really happen too is because they want to control what you're going to do once you're in office. And oh, I think yeah. this is exactly what conservatives hate about labor unions, which I think is so funny. Right. You know, we hate the you know, oh, labor wanna, unions are giving money to the people they're going to negotiate with. Well, I, it's I don't not want, that much different. I don't want labor unions to be capped. And I don't want I don't want businesses to be capped. I want them. Everyone want everybody to give to the people they want because if but, you keep it all above board, listen. Is there money that's being slid under the table? Probably. Is there corruption happening that we don't know about? Absolutely. Well, Donald Trump so, told us definitely there's so, corruption we so don't then, know about. So then put it all above board. Say, listen. But what, what is unlimited that do? donations? That way I know where it's coming from. That but might not change. It might not change a thing, but at least it exposes the information, and but then the long term the can change things. Listen. I, but I think we should change it. I don't think I think things should change. I don't look. We are at a point where and no, I know conservatives don't want to hear this, where politicians are no longer serving the people, which is what their purpose is. They are right. serving interests who right. who give them money. I, and so okay. when that happens, I think it is healthy to experiment and say, what's a better way to do this? Do I have the answer to that? No. But I'm pretty sure anything would probably be better than the system we have now. Right. So. Am I open to other things? Yes. Am I sure those things will work? No. But I think for us to sit here and act like, you know, the money isn't playing a huge role at sometimes in what candidates are doing once they're elected is is not true. Right. But let's let's just say, let's just throw a, a pretend scenario. Let's say that there's some evil organization. The 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 the, the left would call it the Koch brothers, and we'll call it, you know, the the, the church boys. The Hallowell brothers, right? <laughs> let's say that the, this organization is, is is maxing out on its donations to a pack or to a candidate or whatever. They've maxed out, but then we know that the grand total of what they're going to be giving is going to be $2 million, but they've maxed out on the contrib contributions, which is what, $10,000? 
but we know that they're sliding the other money under the table. Like we all believe that, and we know, and we know that there's this dirty money going on in politics. We don't have any proof of it, but we were saying there's, you know, there's dirty money being going on in politics, and it's going under the table. Why don't we just bring all of that two million dollars above the table so that we can just see what's going on? That's all I'm saying. Listen, I, the money in politics isn't a big deal to me when we know when it's accurately and honestly reported. I don't have a problem with money in politics as long as I know where it's coming from. And I can go, you are paying him and then getting, apparently getting this in return. Instead of us all going, okay, they're kind of paying him and he's doing this for them. What's really going on here? And if you have 100% reporting, then it's all out there. And, and, and then maybe things change. If you're worried about special interests buying favors, then find out who the special interests are that are putting the money in there. Because right now, right, special you are, interests are you putting are money way, under the table. I'm going to be honest with you. Hmm. It's Friday afternoon, and I don't feel like solving the world's problems anymore. Oh, so can we complain about an atheist now or something? Yeah, why don't we take a break? And then we'll, we'll take a break. I'll take a, I'll take a, uh, I'll take a chill pill. And, um, chill that pill that means gonna... bathroom break. No, I don't even have to go potty yet i'm only halfway through the with this mountain dew so maybe that's the problem right i'm getting all wound up and it's this dew that i'm drinking because usually i've got a coke here and it's, it's time anyway doesn't matter we'll be back i'm going back <laughs> back with this riveting conversation in just a moment <laughs> back to the church board Hi guys! Got to stop with that. Your impersonation. I'm drinking my Mountain Dew. Your your impersonation of me is even worse than my impersonation of Donald Trump. I like long walks on the beach, drinking Mountain Dew, and coaching little league. (laughs) I I I drink Diet Mountain Dew. I really don't enjoy watching on the beach, walking on the beach, and I have nothing to do with little league. Other than that, live. that was spot on. <laughs> live. So, Billy, you've written it. Billy is one of the least sportsy people I know. I mean, I just don't have the energy. He, he, <laughs> <laughs> he and Glenn compete amongst the Blazers for least athletic. But he has written a couple stories over the last, a few stories over the last couple weeks about religion on the football field. Now, the nice thing is that the the stories have nothing to do with actually anything to do with the sport of football other than its location and who happens to be involved. There's no actual sports involved. So, Billy, give us a little update. There was a, a baptism on the football field that was a big to do. And Dude, now there's a coach awful. and now there's a coach who's praying on the football field. And now there's a big hubbub about that. Tell the world in your great football <laughs> terminology. What's going um, on? So basically, uh, this particular case <laughs> has to do with Joe Kennedy. He's a football coach out in Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington. Am I saying that right? Bremerton, Bremerton? Washington. Yep. Is that far from? That's over by Seattle. Okay. Well, I don't know the geography, but needless to say, this football coach has been praying at the fifty-yard line after every game. He'll right. he'll finish the game, and I think that's an important time frame. It's after the game. He goes to the fifty-yard line. He prays. Over time, his his students, his players, they started going and praying with him. And then other people were so inspired that the opposing team started going and praying with him. Yeah. Now, someone complained. And what I think is interesting is most of these stories, there's like an attack on football chaplains right now at colleges and high right. schools. 
a lot of it's organized by the Freedom From Religion Foundation. I reached out to them. They told me we actually weren't involved in this one. So huh. the assumption they, they told me is that somebody local probably complained, which is rare. Usually they'll go to them to complain, and then the organization will, the atheist will go after the school district. Right. Now, the school district is, is looking into this. There's a huge rally planned. And by the time everyone hears this, the rally will be over. But the, the rally is planned <laughs> for Friday night, the day that we are, we are taping right. this. Right. And, you know... It's fascinating rally in support of Joe Kennedy because so many people are saying, "Look, he's just praying," and he's and people want to join him. That's fine, but others say it's coercive. But he's been doing he's, it. It started out he was doing it on his own for a long time, and then some some people joined him. It wasn't he apparently right. never asked anybody to join him. Is that right? Right. That's absolutely correct. According to the way that news reports are have gone on this and what I've seen, he did not go and ask anybody to join him. They chose now. At some point here, these atheists who complain, they've got to realize that if a student wants to join a coach and pray and you try to prevent that, there must be some sort of free speech, I would think, constriction yeah. going on there if you're not allowing a willing prayer among 17 and 18-year-old kids. A willing, a willing voluntary prayer. Because then if you do that, the mandate that they can't pray by the atheists goes is just as quote wrong as the mandate by the coach that they pray had the coach been mandating that they pray right right so which you, would be a coach, right if a coach was mandated right, a coach can't go out on the foot on the football field and tell players come pray with me he also can't tell players you're not allowed to play pray he can't do either one so the atheists want the coach to say you can't go out and pray when that's you know that would be an imposition of religion i would suspect the entire thing, look, all of this is, we've gotten to a point where it's just become crazy. It's crazy town. We are all, everyone is complaining or suing about something. Nobody can handle anything. If they're offended, it's it's like this awful, horrific, we're going to take you to court because you wouldn't make us a cake and you're going to give us $135,000. All of it is crazy. And I think this is another example of that. Look, if a coach was a Muslim, and I always I always tell Christians they have to think about this. If the coach was a Muslim and was mandating that everybody, you know, read the Hadith and the Quran, and right. that would be a different story. Or mandating that people pray to Allah, that would be a different story. If somebody is going and praying and people are willingly joining them, or in the case of the baptism, which we talked about, which the school district, and I'm forgetting where off the top of my head where this was, um, I think it was Kentucky, the, the school district is going at is saying this was wrong there shouldn't have been a baptism um i again it was after school hours students wanted it they made decisions for christ off of the campus and came right. back right. to do this and it was not an event that you had to go to well it's to me it's sort of like okay that's what they wanted to do i don't right. like why are we so bent out of shape that this has to be a national catastrophe yeah i don't, I don't get it at all i mean it's i, I really don't understand I, again, I if if it were if it were not voluntary, I would get the complaint. But I don't understand this complaint at all. I don't understand the basis of it in any no, way. I mean, it's insane. I feel like we are we have moved to a point of oh, it was Georgia, by the way. I'm sorry, the baptism. I, oh, I said yeah, Kentucky. Yeah. I, I had Kim Davis on the mind. Forgive of course, me. Of course you did. Um, Chris's favorite uh, cartoon. My favorite honey. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, and I just I think. I think that we are so hypersensitive, and, and I teach a class, and I was listening to some of the students last night What's debate, that? and they were... What was that, professor? <laughs> you know what? The funny part, the funny part is... I like how you is, just throw that in there. 
I teach, by the way, I teach a class. <laughs> I didn't even say, look, I didn't say it was a college. I just said I teach a class. And okay. the Sunday kids school. were talking about, the kids were talking about, you know, separation of church and state and how right. this, how this country was founded on the separation of church and state. And it's just people's perceptions of these issues are not. Did you punch them right in the really, mouth when they said that? What? Did you punch them right in the mouth or automatically give them an F when they said that? I this cannot have opinions founded. on these matters. So I just <laughs> I didn't ask when you I'm an opinion. I asked if you failed them or punched them in the mouth no, you when they said something fail. stupid. Are you, you know, you're, a, you're, are you taking you're, a picture of me? You, you, you always have advice on how to really emphasize the Christian ethic in all areas <laughs> of life. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, I know. Should we should we like lead people into this wonderful interview we've done? Let's uh yeah let's tease it let's take a break and we'll come back and in this break we'll we'll play the interview and so tease the. All interview right, we here. have a really great interview with a star who has. Oh, been... I'm sorry, we haven't time. Welcome back. Uh, Billy was so rudely interrupted. Billy, what was it you were saying over there? Oh, I was I was trying to. I'm sorry, I can't hear you. What our, were you saying? Our interview. What was that? Um, I'm. I can't. Oh, I, I can't. Chris, that I wanted to introduce our interview with RuPaul. <laughs> um. Oh man, do you think you could get RuPaul? I bet you we could get RuPaul on the show. Do we yeah. want RuPaul on the show? I think it would be fun. All right, let's do it. I, I think with, it would be interesting. What I would mean, we talk with RuPaul about? Does RuPaul identify as female or male? Male. I, well, yeah. no, male as far as I know. Right, yeah. cross, just a cross-dresser. Yeah. Yeah, so he doesn't really, he identify, he, Ru, RuPaul, he Ru, identifies as a drag queen though, right? Doesn't, doesn't he go by that? Doesn't he go by a drag yeah. queen? You know, I'm actually, I think it would be an interesting story that would make people yeah. probably. I think it'd be fascinating. Like, how did you rise to... Um, here's the thing about RuPaul that's interesting. Yeah. Rose to fame at a time when that was very unaccepted. And it's, I mean, still really is not right. a mainstream thing. And right. had all this fame. Yeah. I'm just curious. Like, how did that happen? That could be fascinating. I think it might happen on the Church Boys. And right. I bet Let's you... See. I bet you we find out something crazy about, like, a faith background. I bet there is. I, I, surely. Either it's, you know, or a rejection of faith or... Or whatever. I don't know. Who knows? Or grew up. Or a, a twist on faith in some, some way. On traditional faith in some he's, way. He's, he twists a lot of things. So it could be oh, a twist on faith. Boy. I'm talking oh, about boy. dressing. What are you talking about? I don't know. I didn't Weirdo. know where you were going. So Weirdo, I just... you pervert. <laughs> I didn't even oh. say anything. It's you going went in there and you're in the show description. Right, Billy so... Hallowell. Pervert. Billy <laughs> Hallowell. I'm writing down show description. Just a moment. Hallowell. Pervert. It won't be in the show title, but it will be in the show description. You're an awful creature. <laughs> All right, so let's talk about our actual interview, okay, which, is, which I found to be interesting. And I, I, won't, I won't belabor this because I love to give the whole interview away before we actually do it. <laughs> so what I will say is that it's about a new movie. It's a one-night-only showing on October 8th. It's a Fathom event. Uh, it's 97 minutes long. It's an hour and a half, in case you cared. And it's a movie called Finding Noah. And it's basically... Ark explorers looking for Noah's Ark being followed by a bunch of filmmakers. And we interviewed two of those yeah. filmmakers, Brent Baum and Jonathan Shaw. Uh, Brent was the director and producer. Jonathan was a producer and editor. They told us all about this. And maybe, just maybe, they will reveal the location of Noah's long-lost Ark. Dun, dun, dun! Roll it! 
Wait a second. You were going to add something huh. else that you just Roll found it. out during the break. You just found out during the break something that would be important to add to this. Oh, thank you. See, this is why I need you. That's right. Uh, <laughs> Gary Sinise is the narrator, which is crazy, <laughs> which I did not know until a second ago. Right. <laughs> we conducted this entire interview, researched it and everything. We didn't find out until <laughs> minutes ago, seconds ago, that Gary Sinise had anything to do with it. So, Look, that's the way we roll. <laughs> We roll, we roll rough, my friend. Okay. That's the way Let's, we roll. Here's the uh, Finding Nemo. No, Finding Noah interview. <laughs> we'll be back in just a minute. Hey, guys. It's Billy Hollowell here for the Church Boys with my co-host, Chris Field. And we have two guests on the show today. These are two of the guys behind the upcoming one-night epic movie, Finding Noah, which is going to be coming October 8th uh, to theaters across the country. We have Brent... Bomb, he's the director and producer, and also Jonathan Shaw, who's the producer and an editor on the film. How you guys doing? Hey guys, great. great. Thank, Thank you. you. So, you know, I have about five hundred thousand questions about Noah's Ark and what you can <laughs> what you guys um, you know found and, and how this went. But but I guess my my first question, because I think this is a story that almost everybody in the world, regardless of how they feel about the story, knows about. It's it's a very well known story. What is it for the two of you that that led you to be so interested in it to pursue a project like this? Well, it's, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail right on the head, Billy, because, you know, ever since we were kids, we've, we've heard about Noah's Ark, whether it's in Sunday school or, or in church and, you know, in a lot of areas. But the, the thing was, is you know, I remember as a kid in the 60s, they bust us into a theater and we saw this movie called In Search of Noah's Ark, right? And it's this, like, you know, classic 60s documentary. There's a guy with glasses and a beard who looks very professorial. And, you know, he points up at the mountain and they talk about the mystery. And so this is this has been ingrained in in kind of, you know, my own history. And I think a lot of kids history uh, since they grew up. And so for us, it was it was really let's go up there and see. Let's not just stand at the bottom and look up there and point up there and talk about it. But let's actually go and look. And more importantly for the film, it was let's follow these guys and tell the story of the guys who risk their life year after year to go in search of this. Very good, very good. And, and yeah, it, it's so fascinating. I know there's a, a whole timeline of events surrounding Noah's Ark and how people have tried to find it and, and have gone into very dangerous territory, which I know that's something that, that you guys did for this film, to, to try to go on that expedition. What do you think captivates people so much? Because, look, I mean, there's a lot of stories that are well-known, right? But what is it about this particular story that really enamors so many people, in your view? I think a lot of it is, is you know, it's if you go back and look in the Bible, it's, you know, it's the book of Genesis. It's, it's you know, it's a foundation of when, you know, we, you know, when, when God kind of, you know, came to to bear on, on on what you know he thought to be a sinful earth and, and to re, and give rebirth through these through the through Noah and his family and you know it's always been kind of interesting how you know you think about it and you know it's the two by two aspect of the animals and and, and you know so I think it is is like Brent said earlier as a kid you you get kind of ingrained with this thing and it's all kind of a you know a happy story uh, and we all kind of grow up with it, and we, you know, kids have mobiles in their in their bedrooms and, and things and that. And then all of a sudden, you start to look at it for really what it is, and it is a darker story 
that uh, you know what and 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 salvation uh, is then becomes the, the salvation is the uh, you know the answer at the end. So uh, you know I think it's it, that's what's just fascinating about it is it, it is ingrained in itself from the beginning and uh, um, you know so it, it starts at the beginning. It starts at Genesis right at the beginning. Right. So l l let me ask you. You mentioned that you're you're following these people who were searching. Were you part of the searching team, or were you simply filming and recording what they were doing? It, it becomes both. You know, in, in particular, in in this endeavor, it started as an expedition team and a film team, but over the course of time, you become one group. And so, you know, there's when when you're on a mountain and you're roped up to another guy you know you don't care if he's part of the expedition team or the film crew you know you you care that he right. has your back and so this you know this process and part of the the filming of of this adventure was was really a story about men and how men overcome obstacles together and so you know for us it was it was an eye opening experience because you start as a film crew and you go there, and because you're with them, and because you're climbing the mountain and roped up to them, you're part of the same group. And, and so that, that changes, and over time, you, you become closer, and over time, you, you share the same experience. So it's difficult to say, you know, as much as you try, you won't see a lot in the film, you won't see a lot of the crew in the shots. Sometimes in a wide shot, there's someone in there. But we tried to stay out of it as much as possible, but it's really in terms of the overall expedition, it's impossible to stay out of it. Right. So, but the original intent though was not uh, you're an expedition team carrying cameras. You, you, you had a film crew go with an expedition team. You're absolutely correct. Right. This expedition team has been going year after year. And, and so what we did is we decided to go along and film their efforts. Cool. And did you feel, I mean, so, Going into this, and let me ask you this, because I think you probably have a very different view now. Once you've done this, you've, you've been a part of it, you've filmed it. How did both of you personally feel about Noah's Ark going into it in terms of, is this something that's real? Is it symbolic? Did this happen? Did it, did it not happen? And so how did you feel about that before? And how did the experience change that, if at all? Well, it was interesting for me because, you know, I, I came to this, Brent had come back from from uh, Turkey, you know, and, and I interviewed to come in to edit the picture. And, uh, you know, they had a, a mountain of film that they had brought back with them. So, you know, it, it becomes interesting because you, you know, going back to earlier, what I was saying is, is that, you know, you kind of have this idea about an arc and what, what it is and, and, you know, the Noah story. And, but when you do something like this, we realize that to, 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 to do this film right, we had to kind of go back and tell what you know what the, the the story is of people that have searched for it why they're going to Ararat and why they're doing all this stuff so there was a lot quite a bit of research that we had to do uh you know in the beginning and it became really fascinating you know the fact that uh, you know the the legends about it the things about you know uh, how people are tracing it to you know different things and how the biblical uh you know dimensions of the ark that are mentioned in the bible or could be this and that and it really gets to be interesting and you sit there and and you you know because you have to be able to know all this stuff and you start to dig deeper and it becomes a lot more interesting and, and mysterious in, in a sense so for me it was kind of a, a growth of, of, of actually now actually examining something that had always been in the back of my mind uh but now really actually looking at it with the you know with a real keen eye so that was the that's kind of really what exchanged for me was that uh, is going in depth and, and then you know just like everything else there's 
There's people that say things that you know aren't true about it. There, there are people that are trying to do things to to make money off of this thing. So there's a lot of different you know aspects to it. But you kind of sort through it and you find out the fascinating things and you know the oh my god moments and the and the and the, oh wows when you start to kind of put it all together. So that was really right. really really exciting for me. And that's what we tried to do in the film. We tried to say we tried to go down the middle of this thing you know purposely was uh, in, 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 in creating it was, well, we're just going to tell this story from the perspective of, you know, what an audience would look like. And that's kind of what we, we, you know, what we, we strive to do is not take a side, not take a thing, but try to present all the facts that as we knew them. Hey, guys, let me, let me answer this by taking you back to the very beginning, okay? Imagine myself in front of a group of investors and saying to them, I want you to fund a film about the search for Noah's Ark. Right. I mean, you're you're right. you're sitting there in a room and, and you have a bunch of very successful, you know, very wealthy, older guys look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, you know? exactly. You know, right. who, who is this guy who who let this guy in this room? Right. And then there was kind of like this this. Collective exhale where you could see that they were all like, you know what, if I was a young guy, I'd go do this, you know, this. And, and, and all of a sudden their heads were nodding and they were like, yeah, okay. But the first question they asked was, what if you don't find the ark? You know, is that going to ruin the movie? And so we went into this from the perspective, how I answered the question was simply this. We're not making a movie about finding the ark. We're making a movie about the guys who go and search for the ark. Hmm. We need to tell their story. And that's what Jonathan was, was so... Um, you know, so skillfully able to help us do in the editing process. There's so much history, so much mystery surrounding this from Marco Polo. You know, ancient historians talk about sightings of the Ark and, you know, in, on Ararat. There's all kinds of local legends and myth. And there's even sightings, supposed sightings from Americans who'd been over there right. in the 40s and 50s, right? So how do we take all of this history, all of this background based in the Bible and how do we tell the story of the guys who go and do this and so you know you have to admit when you're climbing up that mountain and when things are difficult you think it's gonna be okay because if it's found it will change how people view the Bible it will change so many things in the world and you have that expectation and I know the guys we filmed had that expectation so let me just ask you guys, and you can answer yes or no. I'm hoping you'll answer yes or no, but I'm just curious. I mean, do you think, do you think the Ark is there? Uh, I would answer this by saying yes, I think there's an Ark. Do, is, is it there? That's, that's the, the, you know, the issue. Is, and I think that there's enough indicators that uh, say that that's the area because it's, you know, like, again, it's, it's, you can look from the Bible through all the historical findings and sightings and stuff. That seems to be the area, but just like anything else, you know, as we look through biblical architect uh, archaeology, excuse me, is that you know there's sometimes it isn't exactly where you think it is, and it could be someplace else. So I think what 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 this is is there's enough indicating factors that make it you know it's, it was it, that's why they go there to look because there's enough indicating factors, but yet you know I think any one of them would be open to, if it found it somewhere else would be the first ones to say. You know, bravo. Sure. So, uh, you know, so that's so my indicate my my question would be yes, there's an arc. Is it is it there? That's why they keep going to look. It's, but all indications are, you know, like a forensic, 
forensic sciences that that would be the place where it happened. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it, it and it, it does seem well. I guess okay. You'll you'll have critics who will say, well, gosh, if it was there, you know, th- all these thousands of years have gone by. If it was there, why wouldn't it be found yet? How would you respond to somebody who might? Who might say that, or they might just say, if it were anywhere at this point, you know, why wouldn't we find it? What are some of maybe the challenges that people might not understand about that geographic area that might help prevent finding it if it is there? Well, I'll let Brent take that one, but I'll tell you the one thing from it is that you know it's a it's a glacier that's on top of the mountain, so you know there and the glacier is constantly moving, so mm-hmm. you know it because uh, that ice is thick and stuff, and so if it was there. That's the good news is that's how it would be preserved because it would be it would be in this ice and you know the, we we talk in the film about we go and we talk to these people about how wood could be preserved for that long and if it's in if it's locked in ice without getting any you know uh, oxygen to it and, and, and bacteria it could actually still be there so that's the thing but it's just it's a it's a big huge place and Brent can speak more to that and and very rugged so it's it, what's really interesting because who's to say it hasn't been found. You know, that's that's right. the question. So you have to look at this from the perspective of are you going to find an ark or are you going to find remnant of an ark? Mm-hmm. And and that's what, you know, what, you know, thousands of years of history force you to start thinking about. Because if you look at, at the legends, you know, apparently the czars of Russia went up there and dismantled the ark. You know, there's, you know, a, a quarter of the mountain blew away in the, in the early 1800s in a, in a volcano. Uh, an eruption and an earthquake that you know that created the Ahura Gorge. The Ahura Gorge is twice as deep as the Grand Canyon. So when you go up to Mount Ararat and you look on the glaciers at the top of Mount Ararat, you have to understand that over the years that ice is moving off and falling into the Ahura Gorge. Mm. So if an arc was there, did it get blown out with the Ahura Gorge eruption? Has it fallen over the side into the Ahura Gorge? Have any number of the myths or the stories throughout history where people have found the ark and dismantled it, are they actually true? And so these are the things that you have to worry about. And you know, when, when we talk about preservation, no one in the scientific community has blinks an eye over the fact that woolly mammoths were preserved in the frozen tundra you know, of, of Russia. Sure. You know, for, for thousands and thousands of years, or in their time frame, for hundreds of thousands of years. So, you know, when you say, oh, well, could the ark be preserved, and some people will laugh at that, why don't they laugh at the woolly mammoths being preserved? You know, why don't, when, when we started this project, it was not like any other film project that I've done. This is a first, first documentary. And so, you know, we had to take our film crew and our staff in the office and say, we have to look at this a little bit like a newsroom. Let's find all the stories. Let's look into all the background, all the myths, all the legends that lead to this. And the data is massive Mm. in terms of stories, in terms of legends. And so it's a lot of fun. It it really, what it comes down to is a lot of fun. It's 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 a wonderful journey, but it's hundreds and hundreds of square miles. Mount Ararat is a solitary mountain that spans 400 square miles. So, so finding an ark is not an easy task, right. you know, and, and, you know, as Jonathan mentioned, it's ice covered year round, uh, and, you know, the, the slopes are steep and rocky. It's a very dangerous mountain just from a mountain perspective, but it's a dangerous part of the world. Yeah. 
Right. It sits right at the crux of Turkey, Iran, Iraq, Armenia, and warring factions for thousands of years have fought over this piece of land. So it's not an easy place to get to in terms of a geopolitical and risk perspective. So you know, you're, there, there are years in history where the mountain was closed to any permits to go on the mountain because of the warring, you know, the warring factions there between the Kurds and the Turks and the Armenians. So for hundreds and hundreds of years, this has been going on. So you, you, you add that volatile, very dangerous geopolitical angle to this, and on top of that, you have the physical mountain itself. It's not a place for, you know, for, for people taking a cruise, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah one of the things is that what, they, you know, what the crew do, this is kind of a, you know, the guys are up there and, and you know, everybody has theories and, you know, if, if, if it's, you know, if it's moving because of the glacier, if it's buried in the ice. But, but the thing is that the, what they're trying to do is find wood. And so, so early when we, when we, you know, when Brent got back from Turkey, we made up some T-shirts and we kind of ripped off the Got Milk uh, campaign. And on the back it said, you know, Got oh, Wood. No. Oh, no. <laughs> so that's kind of the whole thing is they're trying to, you know, they're thinking because if, you know, if wood was up there at, at that altitude, it would be, uh, you know, it'd be an aberration. So they're, you know, they're just hoping, to, hoping against hope just to just, just, just find up some wood up there and then, uh, you know, much less an, uh, an intact arc. But. Uh, so what I was I wanted to ask just following up on as far as the location goes I know and I'm not a scholar by any means as Billy can attest that's for, I was gonna say that's <laughs> for sure <laughs> but I I know that there are stories across cultures and across uh, faiths about a global flood and about a man in a boat you know uh, yeah where are the uh, are, do they all point to Ararat I mean do all these Faith stories or all these various stories point to Ararat. Are there other locations uh, in that area that that y'all think that maybe we need to be looking as well? Well, okay, you have to take take the question from the prospect of a global flood. The global flood myth exists, and we go into some length in the film uh, describing this because there are hundreds and hundreds of, of regional flood myths. So I don't think that the flood myth in China, for example, points to Ararat, right? Okay, um, but but they all they have commonalities and, and we, we talk about this in the film and I don't want to kind of give away you know part of this but what's really interesting is that you not only have the global flood myth but if you look at it from the perspective of Christianity and Judaism and Islam all three of the major monotheistic religions have this flood story and then you start to look at other indicators of flood stories like the Gilgamesh tablets and there's been a, a recent finding um, of, of another flood story. Uh, and so, you know, we, we, we start to think that if there's just so much evidence of a flood, well, what was the flood? And that's where people start to argue, right? right. And so then you look at the perspective of the second part of the question is, is it on Mount Ararat? And what we find is that is that scholars and archaeologists and theologians will argue about the meaning of the word Ararat and, and where it comes from and is, does it apply to a specific mountain or to a region. Right. One of the things that we wanted to do with this film is not necessarily answer the questions, but to get people talking about it, to, to let the film be a vehicle to have people ask these very questions that you're asking. That makes sense. 
No, yeah, absolutely. And what was, is there anything that you guys feel audiences will be incredibly surprised by without spoiling too much? I mean, is there, I guess like what are the biggest things that you feel like, gosh, this, this was something that even surprised you and that you think the audience will maybe be a little bit stunned by? I think for, you know, for me, it was it, it, just like I said earlier, I think it's the, once you start to think about this, you know, uh, you know, you go, okay, this has been, you know, the arc story has been part of, you know, of culture for so long, but you know, when you start to drill into the specifics of it, it is kind of an oh wow thing. And and you know, I mean, I, I, I people have seen it. We've you know we've screened the movie obviously for some audiences to get feedback, and you know people react to different things. But and it's amazing that way because people are going. A lot of people, especially in the secular world, you know, don't know a lot of these things. And so the the myth stories about how many myths there are out there, like we just spoke about, that's always very very fascinating to people. You know, uh, you know, I just don't even think, you know, for me, I wasn't, I never even had a location in my mind of Mount Ararat, you know, in the sense that, you know, I, I just, you know, having read the Bible, but not necessarily sitting there literally remembering everything. So, it, you know, you just, you just find out a lot of little things that I think that that's, that's kind of the old wow factor for me was just that, that, wow, there are things that really, there is science and there's, there's, there's information behind this. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that's kind of the old wow for me. Well, the, you know, the, the interesting part is I, I think that when you look at this from a global perspective and a historical perspective, you know, the, the, the glacial melt from these mountains, from Mount Ararat, form the headwaters of the Tigris and Euphrates River that become the cradle of civilization. I mean, th- this is where all of these things happened. And when you go to this area and, and you're out there and and you just see ancient ruins all around you, uh, some of which haven't been preserved, which are, are just destroyed. And you, you can walk over a hill and, and be in the middle of an, an old Hittite ruin. And, and to me, that, that's a completely different perspective than living in Los Angeles, right? You, you find yourself immersed in this ancient world and you can't help but think, what if this is where it all started? Yeah. You know, what, what if, you know, and, and when we were up on the mountain and we got up onto the summit and we filmed these guys and, and I heard more than one of them say, wow, I'm at the place where Noah came and life started again. And, and when you think about that, just from a human perspective, that's, that's an awesome thought. You think about it from a biblical perspective, I'm at the place where God exercised a judgment on humanity and those that he saved started here and got a chance to start humanity again yeah that that's an awesome perspective to have wow it is no and and, you know one of the things i wondered i mean look a lot of these guys you said these people go every year um to search and and a lot of people have been after this for years did you encounter anybody who, who has had started to sort of lose hope in finding it. I mean, or are these people who are going to persevere until and and hopefully for their sake until they do find it? <laughs> it's a little. It's a little of both. You know, in the process of making the documentary, we interviewed a lot of what we call archaeologists with a K, right? The guys, the guys who who follow the ark, and some of them have searched in in Ararat in eastern Turkey in the past, and some of them have moved on to other locations now. But there are still a core group of people who believe without a doubt that it is this Mount Ararat and it is this location in, in present-day eastern Turkey. And, they, and 
there's one guy on our team who's been there 27 times. Wow. 20, 27 years wow. of searching for the ark. He was he was a young guy back in the day with Colonel um, Jim Irwin, you know, who was who's kind of the the grandfather of the modern ark search era. And you know, he had been on expeditions with Jim Irwin way back in the day. So, you know, some of these guys will live this and die this. Mm-hmm. And others will will grow tired of it and start to look in other areas. So where do, where do the expeditions get their funding? I mean, I know you went to investors to get your movie about the expeditions. Where do the expedition guys get their? Are they self-funded? Are they finding people to back them? What's what's their story? It, it's a combination of everything. You know, when when we when we first started filming, what we wanted to do is go around before the expedition and film some of the guys in their hometown preparing and getting ready, right? And so we were at uh, a cup, for example, we were in, in Texas at the opening of a creation science museum that has a replica model of the Ark. And, and we filmed a, a big presentation that lasted for hours with experts talking about the Ark. And they, they said, you know, two of the guys in our audience are going to be on this expedition later this summer. They brought them up to, to cheers and they talked about the, the opportunity to go. And I, and I witnessed after that, you know, people came and handed them checks and, and said, you know, you know, to help defer your costs, God bless you, you know, here's, here's a donation. Wow. And so when, when you look at the, the, the broader perspective of this, you know, some of these guys, they leave their job and their family and their home for two to three months at a time in the summer. They go to a foreign land that is in the middle of a war between the Kurds and, and the Turkish, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 it's a hard thing to do and so they're not getting income from their job and they're incurring expenses to go over here and and they have to provide their own equipment and their own travel and uh, it's not an easy thing for them to do you know some of the guys are more well off and it's easier for them you know but when you think about the kind of dedication and the sacrifice that it takes the thing that I'm amazed by is the families back home that support them. And, you know, when we screened the movie, we found that it plays really well with mothers who, who can really understand the idea of sending their husbands and their sons into peril and how that affects the family at home. So there, there's a community of people that have to support this kind of endeavor. Uh, and, and so that was, you know, part of personally seeing that was really an eye-opening experience for me to see how each of these people approach it differently and how, and how you know, some of them are pastors from small towns. Some of them are, are nurses and school teachers. You know, they're, they're all different kinds of guys from all different kinds of places. And it, and it really is a look into the lives of what I would say are normal guys who step out of their normal life to do something exceptional. Wow. So let let me ask you one other question, and, and it's I, I I ask you this because I assume that having done this documentary and gone on this search, you've spent a lot of time reading and rereading the story of Noah. That's just so. What did you think of the the Russell Crowe movie that came out about Noah? That was uh, got a lot of lampooning. Uh, what did you and a lot of criticism? What did you think uh, of that movie if you saw it? And um, did it bother you or, 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 any, or have any thoughts about that? Well, I, I think we both have thoughts about that. Yeah, no, I, mean, I, I actually, I actually yeah. you know, for me, uh, 
I think, you know, I know that, you know, I read quite a bit about it in the sense that Aronofsky did a lot. This was very, this was a, you know, a story that he wanted to tell. Right. And so, and, you know, just like Brent had to go to his investors, he had to go to Paramount and, <laughs> and talk, talk them into this. And, and so he had done a lot of research and stuff. And so, you know, you, you know, in the business, you know, we're, and that's exactly what it is. It's a business. We have to make things that not only, uh, you know, uh, entertain people, but, you know, what, in, and, but have some messaging for us. We're really fortunate in the documentary because one of the things we tried to do was make it a, a, an entertaining piece of, of cinema, right. and then hopefully people draw from what they want out of the, out of this. But I think that well, I think he did a good job. I thought it was it it, it you know it brings awareness um, you know to it. I, I, I like some of the things. I thought it was very paralleling. It really kind of I, I I felt that you know you could experience that moment. Uh, you know some of the things in it were a little far fetched. So. Uh, you know, and that was one of the, you know, the, the rock people were kind of, right. were uh, a little bit, you know, didn't quite work for me. But on a, on a, on a film level, I thought, you know, I, I applauded the film and I applauded Paramount for taking the risk with it. And, yeah. and you know, I was gonna, it was a risk. I was going to ask you if y'all found any rock people up there while you were searching. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you what, we found lots of rock. There's more, there's more <laughs> rock people on Hollywood Boulevard, I'll tell you. I, I just did it. I wasn't that entertained by, I didn't, I didn't hate it. I just didn't love, I, I felt like they, he changed things he didn't need to change and. And yeah. it was weird. I, you know, the script was weird to me. I didn't, I didn't quite, yeah. but it wasn't bad. I mean, it just wasn't, it could have been so much better. Let me word it that way. Well, and, and that's, and that's, you know, that's the beauty of movies. And that, and I, I have a similar viewpoint to you, but you know, I, I found that as I sat there as a movie, I enjoyed it. And, you know, and I thought this is, this is cool. There's some cool visuals. There's some really great stuff in here. And then there was this whole controversy about, you know, changing the biblical story. And, and the way I look at that is, you know what? At least he got to tell the story, and he got us talking about it, and that's that's what was kind of exciting for me about that. He brought a lot of awareness to the story of Noah, and yeah. and that would never have happened if there wasn't a movie. Yeah. And so that's the positive that I take out of it is that look what happened for a year. We were all talking about Noah. Yep. Yeah, know, that's a good point. That's a really it, good point. Yeah, yeah really. and and so and so that that is invaluable, I think. And so you know whether we we want to critique the you know the cinematic efforts of the guy or not, he he did a net positive for us all because he he brought the discussion to the forefront of social consciousness. Yeah. And I know it was a very you know I mean you guys know this too. It was a very controversial. He was he and the uh, the studio were not you know on the same page. So yeah. you know some of these things like you say there are kind of things that didn't need to get added. You know plot points. You go well, it really didn't. But I, you know, I think somebody they have to mitigate their risk, so they, you know, so they kind of, you know, I don't, I don't know. In the end, I don't know if Darren really, you know, if that's completely the story he wanted to tell. If there was things that were added or what, but right. uh, like, you know, it did bring a, like I say, it brought a lot of attention. And and again, it, it, part of it is is that you know you have a theater of the mind where you 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 know you know this story, so it plays a little bit differently in your head than what you when, when somebody plays it out. So I think. You know, I suffered a little bit from that going, well, I didn't quite, that's not the way I thought it would be. Right. <laughs> right. But I didn't realize Noah wanted to kill his whole family. Yeah, like, yeah, like an yeah, hour and a half in, you're like, yeah. okay, where did that come from? Well, you know we what, you know what, but like, you know, but you know, but you know where that, you know where that came from. That's, I don't think that it's an, ab I, I say this jokingly, we spend our lives in our own homes and there are times we want to kill our family. He spent how many, <laughs> how many days on that boat with those animals? You telling me yeah. he didn't have that thought every once in a while? Like, yeah, I could just throw yeah. one of these overboard. Oh, but there was a moment in the yeah. thing where you know, when you know they closed the door and he was sitting, Russell Crowe sitting there, and they closed the door, 
and you start to hear you know the people screaming from the outside mm -hmm. and that was powerful yeah. I mean because you really went wow yeah. you know that probably if you believe in the ark and you believe that's probably pretty much what happened so yeah. Uh, you know, I, I thought that moment really kind of, you know, really transcended for me quite yeah. a bit. Yeah. Well, cool. well, listen, this this has been great. Yeah, and uh, we, you know, hope to talk with you guys again in the well, near future. I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people react to the film. And uh, it'll be October 8th, correct? Yes, That's correct. That's a good October thing. 8th, one night only. It's a fathom event. And, oh, wow. you know, we're hoping to get people out, uh, you know, get, it, get them in the theater buying tickets. Because if, uh, if we get, uh, if we just do a real good show, and they'll give us another night, which oh, great. is a, uh, you know, makes sense for us. So. Yeah, that's great. And, and the great news well, about this interview that we did, Billy, is that uh, I think we have found the filmmakers for the eventual documentary that will be made about us. So I, we're set. <laughs> <laughs> These are great connections to have. Hey, so one of the one of the things that's really funny is is that we get this feedback, but one of the you know, and you know, once you put yourself out like this, you get you know, yeah. so you, you put yourself out in the social world, you're going to take slings and arrows. But sure. uh, there's one guy saying about what was he saying about? Well, what are you guys going to do next? Go look for Santa Claus at the North Pole? <laughs> so we're going, yeah, that's sure. not a bad idea. That <laughs> works. Oh, I love cool. it. Well, listen, we appreciate your time and good luck. Yes, All thank right. you. Thanks, Thanks guys. Thanks appreciate so much. It. All right, bye bye. Bye bye. I need to get a hold of your mom and see if she'll record anything else for us. You leave are us, awful. Leave us any more messages. You're an awful, we just have We awful. just have the one, and every once in a while, I just throw that back in there. And Maybe she needs, maybe, maybe I'll need to, maybe I need to get a hold of Laura and, and say, hey, baby, would you mind recording a few more spots for us? <laughs> when totally you get to hell, I want you to tell me the color of the floral arrangements, please. All right, let's uh let's end with one of these. Billy Hallowell's outrage of the week. All right, if your community is looking to have prayer, okay, at your government meetings, which has been a huge issue, the atheists hate right, it, right. and there was a Supreme Court battle over this, which was won by religious people, and that Supreme Court battle was called Greece versus Galloway. I grew up five minutes away from Greece; it was the town next to my town, so. It is a town that is predominantly Christian. And that Supreme Court ruling, and I'm so angry I can't when, even get this when, story when, out. When was, the real, when was the ruling? 2014. Okay. 
I think it was June of 2014. That ruling basically said it's totally fine to have prayer at your government meetings, and it could even be Christian prayer as long as you leave prayer open for everybody. But you could have a schedule, you can rotate through, but every faith in the community needs a chance to be able to pray if you're going to do that. If, if only Christians show up and you leave that open, well, then only Christians showed up, but you leave it open. Sure. Fine. That's right. a win for religious liberty. Fine. Right. Now, one city, from what we know, it's a city in Arizona, has decided, this pastor went to them, and this is Coolidge, Arizona, and said, hey, I'm really, really interested in having prayer come back to our meetings. We used to have it until 2007, then we didn't, and what I would love is to see it happen again. Let's open it up to everybody and follow the Supreme Court. What does the town do? The city, they vote four to two to embrace that sentiment, but with a little caveat, and the caveat is Christian-only prayer, which... (laughs) Um, is not legal. It's apparently a city run by dullards. <laughs> now, I'm not quite sure how this plays out or or what, or what will happen. I mean, at the end of the day, it will not stand up. The Supreme Court has ruled on this, right. uh, much like the issue of gay marriage that your girlfriend, Kim Davis, doesn't seem to understand, Chris. Um, <laughs> and in this case, they've said this is okay. Now, look, <laughs> I understand you only want Christian prayer. You feel like the country was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. We are Christians. But I think you have to follow the law on this one. I think it is fair to leave it open. The, look, there are other faiths in the community. You let Jews, you let yeah. Muslims, whoever yeah. wants to pray, they get a chance to pray on a schedule. Right. So the outrage, though, is not is not that this has happened, <laughs> is that we're allowing prayer. We're ha- it's, that's great. Well, the outrage, I think, that we talked about was, like, there was a pastor who was behind this movement and yes. doing the opposite of what he asked, essentially. So, right. And now this pastor's <laughs> like, wait a minute, what is going on here? I wanted this so that we could have unity and we could have a way for the whole community to be involved in city council. Right. He saw it right. probably as a way for everyone to come together, which sure. is fine. <laughs> look, when you're a pastor, you look for ways to unite people. And what ended up happening was the last possible thing he could have wanted, which is everybody else feeling like they're left out yes. and targeted by a city council that voted for it. <laughs> <laughs> to only have Christian prayer. Oh, I know it's it's um it's you know it's it's difficult being around um it's difficult around me <laughs> as you would know it's difficult being around morons, right? <laughs> I mean that's they finally are getting prayer back into their into their system just like they wanted. But what do they do? They go and they shoot themselves in the foot. I'm looking for my gunshot sound effect here. That's something I can't find it. So forget. They go and they shoot themselves in the foot. This is going to be struck now, down as unconstitutional, obviously. I have thought, is there more to the story? Am I missing something? From what I know, and this is all, we'll say it's all alleged, but I mean, this is people speaking on the record and people that were at the meeting. Right. You have an attorney for the city who's saying, look, I don't think we can do this. So he's going to try to bring a draft back to them to to look at what he comes up with. Right. But I mean, look, the fact of the matter is you're a community of mostly Christians. You're probably going to have 90% of your prayers be Christian only. Right. <laughs> That's my that's my assumption. I mean, I could be wrong. I I just I don't get. I mean, if, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm, now, I'm, the, the next thing, thing. Next, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, okay. So atheists lost that battle because right. it was an atheist and a Jewish woman who combined to right. the Supreme Court battle. They lost it, but somehow within a, a week they were like, "Oh no, this is a win. We're going to go pray all over America." And they launched this big campaign to encourage atheists to go and make sure they get on the schedule in their community right. to pray. Right. Which makes me laugh because it's just like, all right, okay, come so, on, people. So in Coolidge, Arizona, how 
what is the over under on the number of days before uh, Mike Huckabee is in Coolidge, Arizona, having some <laughs> sort of circus on a stage to say yay for this group of nincompoops? <laughs> um, do you know you do know that the Family Research Council is awarding Kim Davis? What was that? I, getting... I didn't. I didn't hear that. My my headphones dropped out. What'd you say? <laughs> <laughs> whenever actually you have a setting, whenever Kim Davis is brought up, I'm sorry, they go couldn't hear you. I couldn't hear you. My my headphones crapped out. Uh, Kim Davis is be, is being I'm awarded. Sorry. I'm gonna have to turn your mic down because <laughs> you're just saying ridiculous things. Wait, it's I'm playing with your microphone levels right it's now. It's kind of like an ESPY award. <laughs> just just <laughs> like an ESPY. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's the Christian SP award. Well, let, look, the bottom. Can you imagine? Wait a second. Oh, can you imagine? Oh, wait a Big news. Can you imagine that show? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Kim Davis has agreed to an interview. I forgot to mention this. Oh no, she didn't. I can tell him lies. She has. She has. We're trying to work out the details oh, now. No. I'm not going to make any promises because. Or let me be on the interview. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, I'm afraid to let you be on the interview. I would be very kind. I'd be nice. Uh, yeah, you'd be like, "So, how long has it been since you fill in the blank?" Right. And how it would not it, be friendly. How long has it been since you've shot a homosexual? <laughs> You're awful. I am awful. She actually seems like a very very. She nice does. Woman. I'm. She's just lovely. Um. No, I do. I do think she seems like a nice person. It's it's unfortunate. I'm like, wait, I better wait. stop. This I is better Donald stop. Trump talking about Carly Fiorina. Just keep it Let coming. Me put, the, put my mask back on. Woman <laughs> <laughs> is beautiful. I I didn't mean. <laughs> this show, this show is gone off the rails. Off the rails. I just drooled. <laughs> okay. Oh, oh, and the emphysema cough is here. Oh man, man, it you must got me. Be going. allergy it's... season, Chris Field. Uh, it's just cigarette season. Cigarette <laughs> season. Um, I, actually, I don't even think I don't even know what we're talking about anymore. Are we done? I think we're done. That's what I think. You want to okay. go? You want to go? Bye bye. Go bye bye. Say bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye, Billy. Bye bye. I, I do want to go. I'm hungry. I'm, you're always hungry. That's not a. <laughs> that is not a good reason for you to go because you'd be going and leaving <laughs> all the time. You know, there's. Can you stop burping, Chris. It's very inappropriate okay, and Christian. It's gotten ridiculous. <laughs> I can't. I can't be around you when you're acting this way. It's shameful. It is just absolutely. <laughs> it's just shameful. <laughs> Church Boys.